a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Kyle. And I'm Emily. And this is the week of October 23, 2023. And we've got some Jeopardy diamonds to discuss. We've got some Jeopardy um, diamonds. Some diamonds. It's the diamond are we still going with jamboree good yeah the diamond the the, the wild card battle uh, royale battle royale has a more specific <laughs> meaning than that doesn't it um kind of yeah yeah well whatever it is yes we're the in diamonds, the diamonds still jubilee no diamonds jubilee just rhyme, rhymes with jamboree so <laughs> yes anyway that's enough silliness from me we'll we'll talk about jeopardy in a second but first let's talk about us kyle how are you doing i'm doing all right just kind of in a holding pattern things are going okay halloween's coming up you know which is true for me as it is for anybody else uh, mm-hmm. i suppose and any exciting costumes on the horizon not for me i don't really do costumes anymore my kids are always a crapshoot it mm-hmm. changes up until the moment we leave. <laughs> For instance, I don't remember if it was last year or two years ago, but our youngest was going to be Rapunzel until mm-hmm. we were like putting on our shoes to go out the door to trick or treat. And she was like, no, I don't want to be this. And we were like, well, then what do you want to be? And it, I, it turned into a ballerina or something. I don't know. Whatever. We just whatever we could grab. So who knows? Flamenco dancers have been mentioned because my mom went to Spain and bought them both flamenco outfits or some variation on my little pony or who knows? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you? How about, how are you? <laughs> and what kind of costumes do you have? I'm good. A little bit less hectic than last week. But we did have, we had a lovely wedding here at church and a vigil. We have a lot of people in town who have connections to Israel, friends and family in Israel, people who are, you know, are or were waiting to hear about people who were missing. So there was a vigil last week, which, you know, that's sad. But anyway, it was a, it was a meaningful event. And yeah, and then this week has been, thankfully, a little bit less overwhelming. And uh, yeah, and things are good. We had our first of goodness knows how many dress up events will be happening <laughs> in the next few days. So this one, the kids put on old costumes. We had an Evie and a Harry Potter, but their their new costumes, which they did not bring out for the trunk, like the town trunk or treat today. My younger child is Aphrodite. Hmm. Yeah. She's got like a white, you know, kind of Greek inspired gown. And she told me that she needed to wear a lot of jewelry and I needed to buy her a lot of jewelry. (laughs) Um, So we got a whole bunch of like, you know, cheapo costume jewelry. And she said, well, you know, and of course I need to wear makeup because, you know. I'm Aphrodite and I was like okay well it's a, it's a <laughs> it, 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 that is a that is a a strong case <laughs> so okay yes you can wear makeup and mm. and then we have a we have a link from Legend of Zelda 
yeah cool. my older my my son is is link we're now yeah we're now which link link from which legend of zelda is really the question oh goodness gracious i don't know i didn't do the costume ordering i'm sure mm. i'm sure there is an answer <laughs> inquiring minds want okay. to know emily yeah I had in mind that I was going to try and be Beetle from Legend of Zelda, but that's a an amount of costume construction that I did not have in me. Understandably. Given the whole world situation slash <laughs> job, kids, etc. Um, but more right. power to anybody who dresses as Beetle from Legend of Zelda. Yeah, yeah. Good for you. Yep. Well, okay, so that's that that's our that's our life. And now Jeopardy. It's Monday, so of course this is the second game of the quarterfinals. What? That that does seem to rankle you a it, bit. It really does. It really Mondays are for fresh starts. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> our contestants are Leah Weekend, a stay-at-home mom from Austin, Texas, Pasquale Palumbo, a financial advisor from Hawthorne, New York, not far from me, and Isaac Applebaum, a corporate development analyst from Mountain View, California. And the Jeopardy categories are the really old college try, just kidding. A Woman of the World, The Name of the Game, Always Say Never, and Stupid Proverbs. We had some boards this week with a ton of triple stumpers. I think 17 triple stumpers in this game. Yeah, something like that. And like some of them I, you know, I, I thought were, were understandable, but there were some that I thought maybe, I don't know. I wonder how it feels like to be back on the stage in this setting, mm -hmm. right? Because, like, I wonder how much pressure these contestants are feeling to, like, prove themselves. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, I wonder if that is causing a certain amount of hesitation of, like, mm -hmm. you know, I don't want to make a mistake. I really want to, really want to, you know, get this this shot that I have to to make it to the Tournament of Champions or whatever. And I wonder if, you know, that's leading to some more, more conservative play yeah i also sort of wonder like how much notice did they have you mm. know because like we you know like we had a fairly typical kind of first round of jeopardy experience where mm -hmm. we knew we were in the contestant pool and we didn't know if we would get the call and then we got the call i think i had four weeks between the call and taping is that what you had yeah, yeah. F four or five. It was around mid-June that I got the call, and it was mid-July that we recorded. Yeah. And, like, I feel like that that timeline works okay. Like, I sort of, I wish I'd been a little bit more industrious between auditioning and getting the call, because I sort of didn't really believe that I was going to get the call. But, you know, but that timeline, it works okay. You know, and there was like a long period of time where you knew you might be getting a call, the call, and then, you know, and then four weeks is like, you know, it's a decent amount of time to kind of brush up on stuff and like, you know, do some studying. And I sort of wonder, like, you know, did these folks know the call might be coming? And like, how long did they have to prep? Because I feel like, you know how like sometimes like cramming for a test actually makes it worse? Like, yeah. you get yourself mm -hmm. all like, anxious and confused <laughs> and like trying yeah. to like cover too much too fast and like yeah. you know like I, I feel like 
you know, if you get a call that's like, hi, you know, we know you said we know we said that you could never come back on Jeopardy, but actually we're doing the second chance thing. And can you be here in two weeks? You know, like, I don't I don't know what kind mm-hmm. of timeline they had, but like, I can imagine there are like, because you weren't expecting to get to go back. Right. I imagine depending on the timeline, like you might you you might be stuck with like kind of an awkward amount of time where it's like not enough time to study, but too much time to like not study, you know? I get what yeah. you mean. So I don't know. I am I am just speculating, but I feel like mm-hmm. I could I could really kind of mess up my my like my mind game, my like my focus, my you know, if I had like the wrong amount of time <laughs> to prep. Anyway. They did okay in this round. Had kind of a hard time with stupid proverbs. They missed a couple of those. Yeah, like Ken said, maybe you're all too smart for this. Yeah, yeah. an American proverb yeah, I mean, those- says money begets this. Leah tried what is wealth. Pasquale tried what are problems. It's a different proverb. <laughs> an American but- proverb says more money, more problems. Mm. No, my, my- Money begets money is what they were looking for. So just money again is the was the correct response there. Nobody got it. Yeah. So right. like just a little too stupid for them. Pasquale had an unfortunate miss in the never category, the four hundred dollar level line that proceeds. They simply fade away in a British Army song. He said, "What is old soldiers don't die?" But if he was keeping on the category, then he would have gotten old old soldiers never die. That turned into a triple stumper. I wonder. I wonder if the again like if the others thought they knew it but they were like well he was kind of close i wonder if i'm off base with this Mm -hmm. yeah daily double number one is in the woman of the world category at the 800 hundred dollar level it's pick number 10 isaac finds it he is at 1600 pasquale is at 1200 and leah is also also at 1600 he bets it all gets the clue in 1993 true path party leader tansu siller became the first female prime minister of this large Muslim country. And he guesses a large Muslim country. He guesses what is Indonesia, Mm -hmm. but it was in fact Turkey. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Isaac is up to 3,800. He recovered well. Pasquale is at 2,200 and Leah is at 800. Double Jeopardy categories are A River Runs to It, Baby Movies with baby in quotation marks, The History Channel, People with Muppet names. No, I don't need a doctor and smart answers, mm. which all the correct responses are just synonyms for smart. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed the Muppet name category. Mm, yeah. You never, <clears throat> I mean, maybe you do. I don't ever like put Muppets names in the real world. It's just like, yeah, they're Muppets. Yeah. Right. Like, but then to to like now I will always associate except like Grover right, right the eight hundred dollar level like but like you still wouldn't like you know name a person now Grover right like that name right. <laughs> like that's a Muppet it's name it's a one way flow a... from human name to Muppet name it can't come back <laughs> <laughs> I mean yeah uh, yeah that's uh, um, I don't know Oscar kind of yeah I guess thing so. that, I guess that that one that one made it back but like Ernie Banks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Love the Muppets. Yeah. The $1,600 level of the History Channel. Around the 1850s, archaeologists unearthed the Great Library of Ashburnipal in Nineveh, capital of this ancient empire. Isaac said, what is the Babylonian Empire? And then started to correct himself, but unfortunately, he'd already been ruled wrong at that point. So yes. it turned into a triple stumper. That is the Assyrian 
Empire. Which, of course, if you've put in the hundreds of hours in civilization that I have, you know that. Oh, I was going to say, if you were in a Sunday school musical about the prophet Jonah. (laughs) Sure. I mean, also Jonah. Yes, that's perhaps the more accessible way to remember where Nineveh is. If they had listened to my deep dive about rivers, they might have done better in the river category. Mm. They did not. They got one of them. Oh, yeah. The twelve hundred, the Indus flows nineteen hundred miles before emptying into this sea that shares its name with an adjacent peninsula. And they showed a picture. It's like, okay, <laughs> what <laughs> what peninsula is this? Isaac got it with the Arabian Sea, mm-hmm. but they didn't get the Yakima that it flows into the Columbia. The Platte, which is just in my backyard, flows to the Missouri. Pasquale guessed what's the the Colorado, which tells me that he knows where it is. It's just on the other side of the mountains, mm-hmm. right? The The Hudson flows into Upper New York Bay. Yeah. Apparently. I, I shared Pasquale's confusion. It, it's just, it, I was like, what do they call that bay? It's it, 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 Upper New York Bay. <laughs> yeah. I, I was like, what, what's, it, what's it called? Daily double number two is in People with Muppet Names at the $1,600 level, and it is pick number 16. Pasquale finds this one, and he wagers 2500 of his 4600 He's in the lead at this point. Isaac is at 3000 Leah's at 3600 And he gets the clue. This patron saint of Mediterranean sailors lent his name to a phenomenon seen during storms. And he can't come up with it. He tries, who is Kermit. Ken jokes, St. Kermit. St. Kermit, the patron saint of being green, and then tells mm-hmm. us that it is St. Elmo, as in St. Elmo's fire. Apparently, have we talked about this? Elmo is short for Erasmus. I don't think we have talked about that. Yeah, which which leads me to believe that the Muppet's full name is Erasmus. <laughs> <laughs> yes, tickle me, Erasmus. Erasmus's world. Yes, <laughs> that is that sounds different. That sounds different. <laughs> anyway, daily double number three is in a river runs to it. It's at the two thousand dollar level. Pick number twenty nine. Very late. Isaac finds it. He's at seven thousand. Pasquale's at forty nine hundred, and Lee is at seventy six hundred. So it's still pretty close. He wagers fifteen hundred. Gets the clue. The Vistula. This sea. He doesn't offer a guess before out of he's out of time, but it flows into the Baltic. Yeah. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, pretty low scoring game. Leah's in the lead with 7,600. Isaac's at 6,700. Pasquale's at 4,900. And the final Jeopardy category is Music Men, where we get the clue. Before creating this record label in 1959, its founder worked on a Lincoln Mercury assembly line. (sighs) They just can't get away from this guy. (laughs) Not Barry. It's a totally different name. No. Pasquale, of not. <laughs> Pasquale tried what is eight mile. He's figured out the right city, but it is not eight not mile. Right. He's, we're in the no. wrong era here. That's okay. He didn't wager anything. He'll stay at 4,900. Isaac got it correct with what is Motown. And of course, everyone remembers Barry Gate from. Yes, apparently that was over three years ago. No. I guess yeah, I guess it was. It was fan. yeah. September fifteenth, twenty twenty. Huh. Huh. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, Isaac has it correct with what is Motown and a thirty one oh one wager, bringing him up to ninety eight oh one. He was looking to make sure he was ahead of Pasquale. 
And Leah got it correct as well and wagered 5,000, which gives her 12,600 and sends her to the semifinals. So on Tuesday, we have the contestants John Vigna, a writer from Los Angeles, California, Jelana Cotter, a senior data analyst from Dade City, Florida, and Steve Krupe, a retired police information supervisor from Las Vegas, Nevada. The Jeopardy round categories are War and Peas, the USTA, US Tennis Association, Who Wants to Be a Milliner, Novel Ideas, Invented First, and Pound Key with the word pound in quotation marks. Invented first, they did fine with it, but it just it strikes me as like uh, like a risky category because our sense of like how old or new things are is not always accurate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Perhaps you've seen the meme about how it was theoretically possible for a samurai to send a fax to Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> Theoretically possible. Theoretically yeah. possible, right? Because all of those, all those things, there, there was more a, contemporary, were, technically. Ah, uh, and it just doesn't seem like it should be right because, like, I don't know. I think of fax machines as, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like, I was like, I think of them as like, I don't know, an '80s thing, maybe. Which isn't yeah, when they were invented. 80s and 90s. It's just when it's like the last time when they were like. Most commonly used, yeah, right? A technology yeah. that made sense. I still occasionally have to find a fax machine because, like, once in a while, a doctor's office is like, "Oh, we don't do online. <laughs> you need to fax us the form." <laughs> and I'm like, "Why? Why? Well, because Why? Our, our doctor is 85 years old, <laughs> and when they finally retire, we will upgrade our system." Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. Anyway, microwave oven, fiberglass, canned food. Steve got that. Canned food was invented first of those. The $1,000 level was a triple stumper. Bunsen burner, Geiger counter, Leiden jar. It's the Leiden jar. Apparently an early battery. I knew that that was a thing, but I couldn't really remember what it did. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I sort of liked at the $800 level of, of uh, War and Peas, in the 1940s, General Mills helped the war effort with dried pea soup. Also cereal bars for these alphabetical army rations and jelana said what are mres and then like immediately like face palmed like knew she'd gotten it wrong and mm-hmm. remembered the right thing which is like so far beyond my <laughs> knowledge of military rations uh <laughs> k rations is what they were looking for there so she didn't yeah. get it but i was impressed that she like had enough knowledge to be like oh no the other one the one before mres mm-hmm. um Daily double number one is in novel ideas at the $800 level. It's pick number 11 and Jelana finds this one and she makes it a true daily double with 1200. Steve is up at 4,600. John is at zero and she gets the clue. Cleanliness is next to Fordliness is a line from this 1932 novel. Barely a hesitation. She knows it is brave new world. Right. Yes. Henry Ford is god yeah so at the end of the jeopardy round steve is still in the lead he's at 6400 at this point jelan is at 4600 john has dropped into the red and he's at negative 400 and the double jeopardy categories are gardens go see a movie about a horse the metropolitan opera i was there a few days ago countries that border india 
a category full of quarries and contronyms, words that can serve as their own antonyms. I make myself sound very cultured, but like, as we were discussing before we started recording, I am, I am not a big opera goer. But you've been to the Met more than I have. Oh, I guess I have. I mean, I, I live in New York, so like, that's to be expected, <laughs> right? It's a little bit easier yeah, yeah, for you to get there than me. I mean, I guess. Yeah. Any thoughts about these particular operas or opera clues? I thought they were appropriate in their difficulty. Um, most of them, I mean, like any category, most of them weren't actually like, you need to know something about the Met. It's more you have to know something about opera in general. Yeah. But yeah, I thought they were, I thought they were good and not the not your typical like Verdi and Mozart. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. At the two thousand dollar level, which was a triple stumper. In twenty twenty one, the Met premiered its first opera by a black composer, this jazz trumpeter, five months younger than Wynton Marsalis. I was sitting there trying to think who Wynton Marsalis's brother is. Five months younger, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who Wynton <laughs> it wouldn't, it matter it wouldn't who be his brother. Yeah, like it should be obvious from the clue that it is not Wynton Marsalis's brother. But I just was like, uh, Wynton Marsalis, who's the other Marsalis? I believe it's Branford. Yeah, Branford, I'm pretty sure. But Terrence Blanchard yeah. is the uh, composer they were they were looking for there. Your horse squirrel do, do oh, good yeah. in the horse category? Oh, yes. I mean, National Velvet, it's this classic horse girl. Yeah, that was, that was one that I would watch with my grandparents because they wanted to make sure I'd seen the classic movies of the 1930s, 40s, etc. Yeah, and I knew—I mean, I knew Seabiscuit, I knew Secretariat, of course, I knew the Horse Whisperer, and the two thousand dollar level. The title equine of this two thousand two animated film is a how do you say that? Tiger, Mustang, Tiger, the leader of the Cimarron herd. That is that's spirit. I was a teenager by the time that came out, but uh, I had I had babysitting kids who liked to watch Spirit, so I knew that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. our kids like the. The animated series mm. that they have made since. Yeah, I didn't know there was an animated series. It's about a horse girl named Lucky. Mm-hmm. A daily double number two is in the Metropolitan Opera category at the eight hundred dollar level. Pick number five. Jelana finds it. She's at sixty two hundred. Steve is at eight thousand. John is at negative four hundred, and she wagers four thousand. Gets the clue. Emma Calve might have tired of the habanera when she set a Met record singing this role 138 times. And she got it correct with what is Carmen. And Daily Double number three is at the $1,200 level of countries that border India and started us on some struggles in that category. <laughs> mm-hmm. John found it at pick number 20. He's at 800 at this point with Steve at 10,000 and Jelana at 19,000. So, you know, he is 18,200 back. He does he does not wager the maximum. There's only a couple clues left on the board. He decides to preserve his chance of playing Final Jeopardy and he wagers 700 of his 800. 
And he gets the clue. In 1967, India and this nation had a military clash along the border of Sikkim, then an Indian protectorate, and today a state. He tries Bangladesh, but it is China. Jelana had previously guessed China for the $1,600 clue where they were looking for Nepal. John had tried Nepal at the $2,000 level where they were looking for Myanmar. So John mm-hmm. misses this one. He drops to 100 uh, then we get to the 800 asking about India's longest land border with this nation that gained independence in 1971. Steve tries what is Pakistan, but John gets the rebound and again says what is Bangladesh, and this time he's correct. And, and then we go to the $400 where Steve gets to again say Pakistan, and this time he's correct. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, so we had we, we had a whole situation in that category. Yeah. Yeah. A bit rough. So at final Jeopardy, Steve's at 9,600, Jelan is at 19,000, and John is at 900. <laughs> so it's not a runaway, but it's very close. The final Jeopardy category is awards and honors, and the clue is, as of 2023, the only two to win a Nobel Prize in Literature and an Academy Award were George Bernard Shaw and this singer-songwriter. John wasn't wrong, but wasn't yeah. right enough. He wrote, who is Bob D? Bobby D. <laughs> but Jeopardy, yeah, my friend Bobby D. But Jeopardy needs the last name. So, Bob, yeah, that's not correct. Steve wrote, who is Margaret Mitchell? Interesting, interesting thought. That's also incorrect. And he wagered everything, which kind of had to. And Jelana got it correct with who is Bob Dylan and made a cover bet of 801. Mm-hmm. So Jelana moves on. And that brings us to Wednesday, where the contestants are Philip Howard, a naval officer from Santa Clarita, California, Emily Sands, a project manager from Chanhassen, Minnesota, and Carlos Chidas, a civil engineer from Burbank, California. And the Jeopardy round categories are produce, Disney park songs, you will need to name the attraction. <laughs> oh goodness my my 10 year old came running in and said i bet there will be at least one clue about the country bear jamboree <laughs> we'll come back to <laughs> that water under the bridge book dano on the road again with road in quotation marks and better ask for directions yes book dano what a good pun for books by people mm-hmm. named dan we of course enjoyed the disney park songs category my 10-year-old was outraged that mm-hmm. the contestants did not go to it until after the commercial break. And by that time, we had forgotten Ugh. the rules and on the first clue filled in the next lyrics instead of providing the name of the attraction. But the contestants remembered the rules. Mm-hmm. Yo-ho, mm-hmm. yo-ho. That is from Pirates of the Caribbean. And at the $800 level, a heffalump or woozle is very confusal. As Carlos said, what is Winnie the Pooh? My 10-year-old shouted, get it right. (laughs) It's the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh. (laughs) So. (laughs) Wow. We are are pedantic. (laughs) And he wasn't wrong about the Country Bear Jamboree, because at the $1,000 level, the Bear Band Bears will play now in the good old key of G. That is from the Country Bear Jamboree, and Emily got that one. Country Bear Jamboree is... Is that it is, is still, it still around. around? And I know 
you, you you asked at the at the D23 Expo where they announced what they've got planned they are going to update the Country Bear Jamboree which is not really on anybody's bingo card because yeah like certainly they were not going to let it stay open in its current form much longer but everybody sort of thought that they were going to close it and replace it with something else yeah yeah i mean i thought that that would be appropriate I don't know, 20 years ago yeah, the last uh-huh. time I was there. Yeah. <laughs> it's It's been outdated uh-huh. for well, a while. They are going to update it. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't have I don't have a horse in this race. I actually I have never been to the Country Bear Jamboree in person, although I watched a video of it after the like after the announcement came out when like when Pete, there was starting to be like commentary about like you know what do they need to change like what do you think they're going to do with it so i was like i don't even like know what's in that show like let me watch it and it's outdated and there's some there are some things that have not aged well Agreed. yeah including some like some racially fraught stuff anyway it is yep. still there it's still there it's going to it's going to get an update apparently Emily did a great job on this board, but I just really enjoy that in three separate categories. <laughs> she answered clues about onward Christian soldiers, old town road, and grim grinning ghosts from haunted mansion. <laughs> she's got a she's got a wide repertoire. All right, daily double number one is in water under the bridge, which we just had another river category mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. week. I guess we there are a lot of rivers. Uh, it's at the thousand dollar level. Pick number eighteen. Carlos finds it. He's at a thousand. Emily's at twenty six hundred. Phillips at forty four hundred. So he bets the thousand and gets a clue beneath the Vasco da Gama bridge in Lisbon. This river, and he gets it correct with mm-hmm. what is the Tagus? Tagus, I guess. At the end of the round, he's up to forty two hundred. Emily is also at forty two hundred, and Philip is at sixty four hundred. We have the double jeopardy categories: produce, or actually, this one is produce. Because the previous mm-hmm. one was produce. Also on the Monopoly board, fill in the blank canvas. She blinded me with science. Wasn't that an 80s thing? And CNN with double N mm-hmm. in quotation marks. I thought Carlos had a really good poll at the $2,000 level of Monopoly board. It's just a Latvian street. That one, that one threw me. I was like, what? How would I, how am I supposed to know any Latvian streets? Mm-hmm. What are you talking about? What, <laughs> like, I don't know any roads in Latvia. Why would I know that? But mm-hmm. it's just Baltic Avenue. Yeah. Which makes sense. Yeah. I had a hard time with also on the Monopoly board overall. I, mm. I don't know. I just haven't like, have I read an entire book about the history of the board game Monopoly? Yes. Do I remember what's on the Monopoly board? I do not. I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> Really interesting stuff about the history of the board game Monopoly, though. I I got to Baltic, and then I couldn't remember if it was Avenue or what. And, like, Waterworks, Electric Company, Luxury Tax, like, mm, no. I would have gotten to Pennsylvania Avenue. Emily just was really fast, and I was a little distracted for at, at that moment. It's a short clue, too. The president lives on it. Yeah. The shorter clues are harder because yep. they're shorter. You don't yep. have the time to read ahead. Fill in the blank canvas. Oh. The whole thing there was they mentioned an artwork. I don't think they ever gave a picture of one. They just talked about it. And then there was a blank in the title no. of the artwork that you needed to fill in. Mm-hmm. That was a little different from a lot of art categories that we've seen before. Yeah, they did okay. They missed the $2,000 clue. Francisco Goya, the third of blank, yeah. 1808. 
that's the 3rd of May, depicting a massacre perpetuated by the, the mm-hmm. invading French. Yeah. The, Daily double number two is yeah. pick number two. It's at the $1,600 level of She Blinded Me With Science. Emily finds it. She's at 5,400 with Carlos at 4,200 and Philip at 6,400. And she goes big. She's confident in this science category. She wagers 5,000 and she gets the clue. Dorothy Hodgkin's Nobel Prize in Chemistry was for her work on this vitamin whose deficiency causes pernicious anemia. And she gets it correct. It is vitamin B12. Good pull. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's impressive. And daily double number three is in fill in the blank canvas at the $1,200 level. Pick number six, so they both get done early. Emily also finds this one, and she's up to 12000 at this point. Carlos is at 4200 Philip is at 6400 and she wagers 4000 And gets the clue, a group portrait by Rembrandt. The blank blank, subtitled The Company of Captain Franz Bonning Koch. And she is able to, it, it takes her a bit, but she recalls that it is the night watch. And so at the end of the double jeopardy round, Emily is in the lead with 25,200. Uh, she has not locked it up. Carlos is at 13,400. Philip is at 9,200. And the final jeopardy category is historic letters, where the clue is a letter from him begins on the 33rd day after I had left Cadiz, I reached the Indian Ocean. This was a triple stumper because all of the contestants mm-hmm. took the letter writer at his word that he had reached the Indian Ocean. <laughs> <laughs> they trusted the documentation. Uh-huh. Those fools. Uh, Philip tried, who is Marco Polo. He wagered 800. That drops him down to 8,400. Carlos tried, who is Magellan. He wagered 13,400. That's everything. He drops to zero. And Emily... Also, like Philip wrote, who is Marco Polo, with a 1601 wager, dropping her just to 23,599, sending her to the semifinals. And it was Columbus who thought he had reached the Indian Ocean, but he had not. Yep. Nope. He was just a (laughs) dum-dum. Yeah. So (laughs) that was a, there there was kind of a gotcha there. Right. You kind of had to know who left from Cadiz. Mm-hmm. Right. But that brings us to Thursday when we have the contestants Tony Fridas, a director of product engineering from Claremont, California, Mason Maggio, a songwriter from Los Angeles, California, and Yoshi Hill, a program support specialist from Colma, California. Jeopardy round categories are science and technology, mob hits, take the A training, A in quotation marks, map happy, the cameraman, and fashion mm-hmm. statements. The $400 level of the cameraman, certain Robert Mablethorpe photos prompted Congress to enact restrictions on grants given by this body. Tony got that. That's the NEA, the National Endowment for the Arts. If you're not familiar with Mablethorpe's work at all, I don't know. That's a, that's a name worth knowing, worth looking up. Not necessarily at work. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. I will mm-hmm. take your word. For- yeah. Wikipedia. American photographer, best known for his black and white photographs. He was working in the 1960s, 70s, 80s, maybe. And I think I associate him most with his like photography of like 
gay and like BDSM subcultures. So mm-hmm. interesting, you know, interesting work, important work. Don't look it up at work. Yeah. Yeah. Congress would probably be a yeah. little bit hesitant mm-hmm. in that regard. Yep. Makes sense. The uh, $600 level of science and technology has impacted us out here. The clue is the cloud type of this releases a substance such as silver iodide into clouds to increase the chance of rain that's cloud mm-hmm. seeding. And uh, we've been doing that out here <clears throat> in the in the drier west for a while. This year, it especially took hold. We had a very wet summer, uncharacteristically lots and lots of rain, thanks to Thanks to some cloud seeding. I don't know a whole lot about cloud seeding. It's just that you throw some throw some chemicals up in the clouds to help form yeah. clouds. Essentially, it's like you put stuff up there that helps water oh, okay. kind of yeah. attract to itself. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. Mob hits at the $400 level. In this 1972 movie, prized racehorse Khartoum is the casualty of a disagreement between a movie producer and the mafia. Uh, Tony got that. It's the Godfather. But I saw the clue and I was like, wait a minute. I thought we were done with the like horse movie category. (laughs) Horse movie. I don't think I'd call the Godfather a horse movie. We're done with it now. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Just somehow like going from from the previous game to this one. I I was like, wait, horse horse movie? <laughs> like, no, not really. Daily yep. double number one is in science and technology. It's at the thousand dollar level, and it's pick number seventeen. Tony finds it. He's at twenty eight hundred with Yoshi at twelve hundred and Mason at forty two hundred. He makes it a true daily double and gets the clue. This biologist first gained acclaim for writing in nineteen thirty seven with her article Undersea in the Atlantic Monthly. And they have a picture of the biologist in question. Tony Mm. tries, who is Margaret Mead? She's an anthropologist, but, you know, reasonable guess. And it's Rachel Carson. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Yoshi's at 1,200. Mason Mm -hmm. is at 9,600. Tony's at 2,800. And the double Jeopardy categories are books and authors, Hall of Famer by position, Jacques of all trades, Let's Go Lobstering, House in quotation marks and of representatives. And we had one of those things that happens on Jeopardy sometimes where there's a sports category and everybody just stands there. (laughs) They did get the $400 level. Joe Namath and Joe Montana. Those are quarterbacks. Mason got it. Good job, Mason. They did not get to any of the To be fair, I would not have gotten any of them either. You probably would have, though, right? Did you know some of these? Did you know all of them? I mean, but, yeah, Bill Russell and Bill Walton. I knew. I know Bill Russell. Bob Gibson at the $1,200 level. They're pitchers, baseball pitchers. Jerry Rice, wide receiver, of course. Randy Moss. I don't, I don't remember John Stallworth, but Jerry Rice and Randy Moss, um, definitely. The 2000, I did not know. I don't know <laughs> Rat Westwick. <laughs> Or shrimp warders or gump warders. Those are great what names. Good names, though. Those those are great names. I do, I am not a I'm not nearly as knowledgeable with hockey as I am with other sports, and I'm not really all that knowledgeable yeah. in others. But I definitely did better yeah. than the contestants. Yeah, no, I did. Sure. I did not do better than the contestants. Joe Namath and Joe Montana, I recognized as football guys, and I was like, well, if it's the four hundred dollar level, they're probably quarterbacks, right? Like, 
<laughs> I understand mm-hmm. that I should know, know that they're quarterbacks, but I I didn't. But I do know how a Jeopardy board is put together. So, you know, so I was like, right. you know, it's 400. Those are quarterbacks. They've got to be. And then the other ones, I was like, no idea what sport we're even talking about here. <laughs> sure. Yeah. There's a triple stumper in the Jacques of all trades category at the $1,200 level. A statue of this French missionary who hooked up with Joliet represents Wisconsin in the U.S. Capitol. Uh, that's mm-hmm. Jacques Marquette. And anything to do with the Midwest, Marquette and Joliet are the the French explorers, mm-hmm. I guess, who are credited with... I don't want to use the word discovering, right? Like Like mapping it, mapping the area, like opening it up to Western exploration i guess Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, marquette and juliet daily double number two is in books and authors it's at the twelve hundred dollar level pick number four yoshi finds it she's at two thousand mason is at ten thousand tony is at twenty eight hundred and she bets it all gets a clue to ian McEwen. there is no redemption no amends no this the title of his novel made into a 2007 movie with saoirse ronan and draws a blank but they're looking for atonement atonement daily double number three is in of representatives it's at the sixteen hundred dollar level it's pick number 13 and mason finds it he is at fourteen thousand with yoshi at 400 and tony at 800 so he's got some room to play here he wagers six thousand, and he gets the clue the only speaker of the house to become president was this tennessee representative and 11th president and they have a picture there mason can't come up with who that 11th president is that is james k polk mm-hmm. yeah and i think it's been 11 is hard to run through if you start from eight and you know the mnemonic, very hard to pinpoint the forgettable presidents before Lincoln, <laughs> you can get there a little faster. Yes. And it's been a while since I brought that mnemonic up on the podcast. I really like it. So there you go. Very hard to pinpoint the forgettable presidents before Lincoln. Mm-hmm. So we get to the end of the double jeopardy rowdy yoshi's up to 5600 she's gotten back in it mason's at 7600 tony's at 2400 these are it's a kind of a close game with these scores final jeopardy category is famous families and the clue is in 2020 a former u.s ambassador to ireland the last of nine siblings in this dynastic family died at 92 tony gets it correct with what is mm-hmm. kennedy and he wagered all 2400 yoshi also got it correct with what is kennedy wagered all 5600 and mason put what is mm-hmm. carnegie which I, I am not aware of the Carnegies as yeah. a dynastic family, necessarily. I mean, I know there's the big one. It's, yeah. it's better to put something than nothing. So he gets that incorrect. And that means that Yoshi, who had dropped to zero in this round after that daily double, ends up mm-hmm. taking the win. So that brings us to Friday, quarterfinal game six. We have the contestants Brian Adams, a retired public educator from Big Bear Lake, California, Corey Burns Barger, an orchestra musician from Riverside, California, and Eric Lowe, a pastor from Northridge, California. Three Californians today. Um, And the Jeopardy round categories are The Last Supper, Quotable Cinema, you name the movie, The Maori, anatomy fabrics and the long and short of it with long and short in quotation marks 
And congratulated Eric on doing well in the Last Supper category. Although he did, I mean, Brian got two of them. Yeah, that's true. But he made it, you know, made a joke mm-hmm. about Eric being a pastor. So, yeah. Glad he did well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I bet that he knew these other two, right? Who's going to deny knowing Jesus three times? And which apostle, according to John, did Satan enter into during the Last Supper, right? Like, I, I'm confident that he just got out buzzed there. He, I, I'm sure he wasn't like, which one? Who knows? I don't know. He seemed, <laughs> seemed hesitant. Yeah. You know, like, I'm not, I'm not sure about this. Yeah. I felt for Brian at the $1,000 level of the Maori in this 2002 mo- movie starring Keisha Castle Hughes. A 12-year-old girl wants to be chief of her Maori tribe. Granddad says no. And some of the details line up. And Brian, I think, you know, Pavlov, you know, rang in and knew by the time that he was saying it that it wasn't correct, but he didn't have a better guess. So he just said it, which is a good way to go because sometimes you second guess yourself and you're actually right anyway he came up with moana but moana was much later this was whale rider yes got some triple stumper in the fabrics category also the name of the fabric that can proceed steel and rose that is damask which that was yeah, I I never I don't think I've ever seen it spelled out. I always just assumed it had a C. Oh. Like, I always just, just thought it was like Damascus, just like short, short. Yeah. You know. Hmm. Yeah. When I Google it, I see Damascus steel, not Damask. But you know, I'm sure they fact checked it. I'm sure it's. Yeah, it's probably yeah. interchangeable. Is my guess. Yeah, and they had a. Welsh word that I won't attempt trying to. <laughs> I love Welsh. Welsh is, Welsh is great. <laughs> I, I don't understand it. No, um, no, absolutely. <laughs> it was the origin for what word? Nobody knew, and understandably so. Corey tried cashmere. It was flannel. Who knows? Who knows? There was a there was a middle N. I will say that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there was an L in there. <laughs> <But> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Galanin? Yeah. Nope. Yeah. Not even gonna not even gonna try. Yep. I don't yeah. Welsh is a mystery. Uh-huh. Beautiful, beautiful mystery. Yeah. Daily double number one is at the thousand dollar level of anatomy, and it is pick number ten. Corey finds it, she's at four hundred, Eric is at twenty two hundred, Brian is at thirty two hundred, and she wagers a thousand. And gets the clue familiar to pitchers. The group of muscles called this includes the subscapularis muscle. And she gets correct with what is the rotator cuff. Mm-hmm. At the end of the Jeopardy round, Eric is in the lead at 6,200. Corey is at 1,400. And Brian is at 5,400. Double Jeopardy categories are Leonardo da Vinci, Busy Guy. Broadway musicals by character. Authors with A in quotation marks. Microscopy. Street smarts and Bad English. How'd you do in the Broadway musical category? I got them all, although I wasn't sure on the $2,000 level. Dina Jones, Effie White, and James Thunder Early. Those are characters from Dreamgirls. I feel like I recognize this category. Like I remember Mm. these particular clues, because I feel like we talked about Dreamgirls, but maybe that was a different time we talked about Dreamgirls. Yeah. 
nobody got the Eric got Dream Girls. Nobody got the sixteen hundred dollar level Mafala Hatimbi and Elder McKinley. Those are characters from the Book of Mormon. And the $800 level of authors brought me back to a deep dive that I did not too long ago. According to legend, he was a Phrygian slave who may have lived from 620 to 560 BC. Eric got that. That's Aesop. Yeah. We talked about him a while back. I recall that. They had a bit of trouble in that Da Vinci category. They got the 400 and 800. Um, But the, the upper level did not did not serve them twelve hundred dollar level was late in life a bitter leonardo made apocalyptic drawings called this series another word for flood eric guessed what is diluvian which is like about a flood and Corey mm-hmm. guessed what is antediluvian which means before a flood yep but they're looking for deluge which right. just assume comes from the same root yeah same root word i'm pretty sure and then the $2,000 clue, as it has bird-like flapping wings, Leo's flying machine is designated one of these. That's an ornithopter. Mm-hmm. You don't use ornithopters. Yeah. Because it's really hard to make mechanical flapping wings that work mm-hmm. properly. <laughs> it does make a lot of sense that, you know, people would have, you know, before coming up with a, with a successful flying machine, would have been like, probably it should be similar to a bird. Yeah, right. Because that's the one model you have, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Microscope pictures just always kind of freak me out. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Yeah, I don't know. They just do. Is that is that weird? I I don't know. Is it weird? I don't think so. I just I is that common? I don't know. Do do other people get freaked out by microscope pictures? It doesn't bother me, but I'm Mm. also not claiming to be typical yeah fair enough so. anyway the 800 dollars level half of the original you seen here i was like is this can they say it? like of course they can say it on television it's fine right <laughs> in fact the pastor said it it was it was a picture of sperm cells yeah they exist <laughs> it's fine <laughs> yep <laughs> yeah all right daily double number two is in street smarts it's at the 1200 dollar level and Corey finds it really early pick number three she is at 5,000. Uh, Eric is at 4,200. Brian's at 5,400. She makes it a true daily double, and she gets the clue. This capital's Gran Via was once named Avenida de Jose Antonio after the founder of the fascist party. And she gets that one correct. It is Madrid. And daily double number three is in the Leonardo category. It's at the $1,600 level. Pick number six, and Corey finds it. Uh, so she found all three which usually is a good sign. She's at 10,000, Eric's at 4,200, and Brian's at 3,400. She wagers 6,000, which I, I like. This is your chance to really like kind of lock in a lead for the whole game. Mm-hmm. She gets a clue. Using Vitruvius's formulae, Leo showed how the proportions of this relate to the most perfect geometric figures. It, I, I think she just doesn't really know where to like go with this question. She says, what's the golden ratio? Mm-hmm. But they're, they're looking for the human body. Yeah. The Vitruvian man. Yeah. So at the end of the double jeopardy round, Eric is in the lead with 12,200. Corey's made it back up to 9,600. Brian's at 5,400. And the final final jeopardy category is famous Americans with the clue on March 23, 1779. He became the first U.S. diplomat to serve overseas by presenting his credentials to a foreign government. Brian got it correct with who is Benjamin Franklin. 
the U.S. minister to France. And Brian wagered everything. That puts him up to 10800 Corey tried who is Jefferson. Mm-hmm. He was the next U.S. minister to France. So, but that's not correct. She's wagered three thousand. She'll drop down to sixty six hundred. So she's below Brian. And then we go to Eric. He tried. Who is John Adams? And we know that is not correct. He wagered seven thousand one, a cover bet to try and stay above Corey. If she doubled up and got it right, that drops him down to fifty one ninety nine. He will finish in third place. And Brian comes from third place to win this game and get the semifinalist spot. Yes. Wild finish. Yeah. So that's the week. And this is the time when we remind you that we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash potent potables. And uh, you can go there if you want to help us offset the costs of making this podcast. Uh, you know, we, we, you know, our, our software and hosting and whatever. We have a little bit of exclusive content on there. We try and get the quiz questions on there right after we record so that Patreon supporters can take a look at those before our episodes come out. Sometimes sometimes you leave your guesses, which is fun. We like that. And, you know, if there are things you want to see on the Patreon, let us know. Thank you so much to those of you who are helping us out with this. We greatly appreciate it. And it helps us, you know, keep being able to do this. And we like to acknowledge at the same time that there are other things in the world that are, you know, more important uh, to support than our podcast. So a few of the ones that we especially care about are in our show notes. Yep. Yeah. All right. Kyle, you have deep dive guesses, I believe. I do. Are we talking about Dr. Elizabeth Blackwell? She was on my list, but we are not. Okay. Are we talking about Montgolfier? No, we are not. And are we talking about Rachel Carson? Ooh, she would be tempting, but no. Who or what? Who or what? Who and what, more alike. Who and this? So we're going back to Monday, people with Muppet names. This patron saint of Mediterranean (laughs) sailors lent his name to a phenomenon seen during storms. Yep, that was a missed daily double. So Saint Elmo was was who we were looking for. And not a ton is known about Saint Elmo, honestly. But I was like, you know what? Saint Elmo and Saint Elmo's fire. Let's learn a little bit about each of them. Yeah, (laughs) there are things that come up. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they are. So, so yeah, St. Elmo and St. Elmo's Fire. We're doing, it's a it's a two for the price of one, but the two, the two are, are honestly, each of them is like just a little mini deep dive. All right. So first of all, there is one St. Elmo. There is one person who is sometimes called St. Elmo, but he is neither a saint nor Elmo. We'll come, <laughs> we'll come back to him. Okay. <laughs> and then there's one historically significant person whose first name was St. Elmo. Two words, but one first name. St. Elmo Brady, 1884 <laughs> to 1966, the first African-American to obtain a PhD in chemistry in the United States. Uh, so, okay. Yes. <laughs> so I, I don't have anything else to say about St. Elmo Brady, except that he just, he came up in the disambiguation page. And I was like, well, that's fun, you <laughs> know, and, and good for him on the, yeah. on the chemistry PhD. Anyway, so we are talking about 
St. Erasmus of Formia, because as you correctly noted when we were talking about that clue, Elmo is a nickname for Erasmus. So Erasmus of Formia was a Christian saint and martyr. He died in 303 AD. His birth date is unknown. Where is Formia, you might ask? It is in modern day Italy. It's on the Mediterranean coast. It's about halfway between Rome and Naples. Now, this is a short deep dive because historicity is not a primary concern of the early Christian sainthood narratives, right? Like these are the documentation that we have is like more devotional in nature, right? It's Mm -hmm. it's like Mm -hmm. these little like inspiring snippets. And so like people get mixed up, details get mushed around. If there are, if there's information out there kind of disentangling, like, you know, what can be known and what's probably fabricated and whatever. Like I, I, I did not successfully find it. Maybe there's some stuff deep in like scholar, scholarly, like, you know, history literature, who knows. But anyway, yeah, historicity is not a primary concern. So let, let me say, there are some unreliable sainthood narratives of St. Erasmus of Formia. And that's honestly where we get most of our you know, what we have, our documentation. Sure. Right. So there are likely accounts mixed in based on maybe a different church leader, possibly also named Erasmus, stories of torture, trials, prison escapes, intervention by angels. There are mentions of him being fed by ravens. Like, I don't know what's mm. going to come up in trivia about St. Elmo, but like fed by ravens, like hold on to that one. That feels, um, yeah, feels yeah. like something that would come up. Yeah. So, but he was the he was the bishop of Formia in the late second century. When that city burned, he moved to the nearby town of Gaeta, and he is the patron saint now of both of those cities. Hmm. This was before Constantine, so Christian Christianity was you know the the Christian faith was being persecuted by the Roman emperors of the time, um, Diocletian, and later Maximilian Hercules. And so that was that was the historical setting. There, pretty much all the accounts that I saw mentioned, you know, is it indicated that he fled from persecution and lived as a hermit on Mount Lebanon for seven years is what I saw. Although again, like some of those details, I think are more about, you know, like seven's a nice, you know, religious number. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. There, so he's a martyr. We're we're confident that he was, you know, that he was martyred, that he that he died young, you know, was was executed for his faith. And he died in a particularly gruesome way that is you'll see portrayed in images of him. So if you're squeamish, maybe skip ahead 10 seconds. He was disemboweled. He is typically portrayed with his intestines being wound on a windlass. Uh, yeah. Blah. Some of the saint narratives say that he was martyred in Illyricum, although I encountered some historical articles suggesting that that was a mix up and that he probably died in Formia. But, you know, Illyricum is, you know, a place to know also if you're, okay. I don't know, learning saints or whatever. Yeah. So we don't know a whole lot about his life. But anyway, he was canonized. He. Is he's the, the patron saint of sailors, perhaps because he's said to have continued preaching even after a thunderbolt struck the ground beside him. Also, it's worth noting that both Formia, Formia and Gaeta are port cities. 
So various stories of him, you know, his him ministering to sailors and like interactions with sailors and whatever. Pope Gregory the Great recorded in the 6th century that the relics of Erasmus were preserved in the Cathedral of Formia when that was when that was destroyed in 842, the cult of Erasmus was moved to Gaeta. The skull of St. Erasmus, venerated as a relic, is purported to be in St. Peter's Church in Munich. His feast day is June the 2nd. And he is the patron saint of sailors because of the miracle story, as I mentioned. The cities of Gaeta and Formia, Santa Ramo in Cole, which is a town named after him. And then because of the nature of his martyrdom, he is the patron saint of a number of ailments having to do with the the abdomen. The hmm. yeah. Okay. So he is the patron saint of colic in children. He is the patron saint of labor pains and and cr- abdominal cramping. And he is the patron saint for okay. intest- yes, intestinal ailments. He's one of a Bummer, group of dude. Yeah. <laughs> do you want to be the patron saint of those things (laughs) she would be like can i not be the patron saint of ravens like come on um (laughs) the baltimore ravens maybe sure (laughs) yeah he is he's one of a group of saints known as the 14 holy helpers venerated as a group by Roman Catholicism because their intercession is believed to be particularly effective against various diseases. This is a belief that comes from the 14th century Black Death. So so the 14 Holy Helpers, St. Christopher and St. Giles, were uh, invoked against the plague itself. St. Dennis is who you pray to for relief from headache. St. Blaise for ailments of the throat. St. Elmo for abdominal maladies, as we mentioned. St. Barbara for fever. St. Vitus for seizures. St. Pantaleon is the patron saint of physicians. St. Syriacus is invoked against temptation on the deathbed. And Saints Christopher, Barbara, and Catherine for protection against a sudden and unprovided for death. St. Giles was prayed to for a good confession. And St. Eustace is the healer of family troubles. So I had never hmm. heard of this before, but those 14, I guess, were like the group of like, if we're going to have a black death, we need help with these these things. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so they get so they get grouped together uh, and St. Elmo is in there, you know, for the... <laughs> for, for the gut stuff. For the gut stuff, yes. Okay, so not to be confused with... Pedro Gonzalez Telmo, it starts with a T, T E L M O. So, Pedro Gonzalez Telmo was a Castilian Dominican friar and priest. He lived in the late 12th, early 13th century. He was venerated and beatified, which are two of the stages that can lead to canonization, becoming an official saint, but he Mm -hmm. was not canonized. Nevertheless, you know, the people who venerate him sometimes refer refer to him as saint telmo telmo with a t okay but because saint Tel- saint telmo right sounds like saint elmo he he sometimes gets referred to as saint elmo right like the that huh. okay. the t elides and then it sounds like saint elmo yeah. um yeah so yes. so yeah not a saint nor an elmo but sometimes called saint elmo <laughs> 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 because of that 
Imagine, <laughs> imagine at the, you know, the mixers, Yeah, <laughs> you know, up in heaven, he's like, wa- he walks in and someone's like, St. Elmo. And he's like, oh, this is awkward because, you know, the real, you know, Erasmus is over on the other side of the room. Yeah. And he has to go through that explanation again. <laughs> actually, I'm not a saint. Actually, my name's Telmo. <laughs> Oof. Yeah. Must get awkward. <laughs> must get awkward. Yeah. All right. So that that's St. Elmo, the, the person. So let's talk about St. Elmo's fire for a minute. Okay. The uh, movie, right? Oh, gosh. Well, I'll I'm just kidding. The movie. All right. So St. Elmo's fire, the weather phenomenon. Yes. is It's a thing that happens where, and a lot of this, I, mm, I would need to be a much stronger physicist than I actually am to fully grasp all of this. A luminous plasma is created by a corona discharge from a rod-like object, that part I understand, such as a mast, spire, chimney, or animal horn also, yeah, in an atmospheric electric field. So the electric field around the affected object causes ionization of the air molecules, producing a faint glow, which is easily visible in low light conditions. St. Elmo's fire can warn of impending lightning strike, and maybe because of that, is sometimes considered a good omen by sailors. Hmm. So when you see it, you see a blue or violet glow around the object, often accompanied by a hissing or buzzing sound. Conditions that generate St. Elmo's fire are present during thunderstorms, when high voltage differentials are present between clouds and the ground below. I saw some mentions of it also. The Right conditions for St. Elmo's fire can also occur during volcano eruptions, I guess. I didn't see as much about that. Hmm. Sharp points lower the necessary voltage because electric fields are more concentrated in areas of high curvature. So discharges occur and preferentially and are more intense at the ends of pointed objects. So like that's why like like rod-like objects um are where you see this most often yeah um the nitrogen and oxygen in the earth's atmosphere cause saint elmo's fire to fluoresce with the blue or violet light that i mentioned um it's a similar mechanism to like how neon lights work although obviously like a different color but it's you know it's the same kind of thing but with different gases it can happen on the exterior of airplanes also although it how it presents an airborne object is like a little bit different than, you know, than in not buildings or ships or whatever. Mm-hmm. We see plenty of early references to it in history. It is referenced in the works of Julius Caesar and Pliny the Elder. It's noted in accounts of the voyages of Magellan and Vasco da Gama. It is noted in the records of the HMS Bounty. Darwin saw St. Elmo's fire when he was voyaging on the Beagle. Tesla created St. Elmo's fire in 1899, yeah, while testing a Tesla coil at his laboratory in Colorado. It was seen around the coil and was said to have lit up the wings of butterflies with blue halos as they flew around. One witness of the Hindenburg disaster reports having seen St. Elmo's fire around the Hindenburg just before that conflagration. Uh, There's some other names for it, right? Because like, you know, St. Elmo is, you know, well known in certain parts of the world, but St. Elmo's fire happens all over the place. Welsh mariners called it 
Candles of the Holy Ghost. Oh, okay. I thought we were going to get some more Welsh pronunciation. I I saw the Welsh words and I was like, absolutely not. (laughs) We're not. not. Also, Candles of St. David. Russian sailors have documented it in in history. And it was known as St. Peter's Lights or St. Nicholas's Lights. I'm not really sure why, like... Something something about it. People are like, I'm seeing God. <laughs> like, sure. like just every everywhere that you know, all the different languages, it like it seems to have these like, you know, like holy glow names. It is mentioned in literature in the Tempest, in Jules Verne's Journey to the Center of the Earth, The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, not a big surprise there. Moby Dick, similarly. Sure. In Hergé's Tintin in Tibet. We see St. Elmo's Fire, Laura Ingalls Wilder mentioned it, and on the banks of Plum Creek, there were a few other ones. I thought those were those were some that stood out to me from the like, you know, St. Elmo's Fire and popular culture lists that I saw. Yeah. And then of course the year there is the nineteen eighty five coming of age Brat Pack film called St. Elmo's Fire. <laughs> it is it was co written and directed by Joel Schumacher Schumacher. I haven't seen it, have you? No. Yeah, no, it um, looks like a movie. I'd be like, oh, this is so boring. Yeah, it had Emilio Estevez, Rob Lowe, Andrew McCarthy, Demi Moore, Judd Nelson, Ali Sheedy, Andy McDowell, and Mayor Winningham. And it centers on a clique of recent graduates of Georgetown University and their adjustment to post-university life and the responsibilities of adulthood. And I guess it's called St. Elmo's Fire because Rob Lowe's character erroneously claims that the phenomenon is not even a real thing. So St. Elmo's Fire is, it's a real thing. I'm not yeah, really sure. That, Rob Lowe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's a real thing. And that's what I learned about it. So that's wow. where we'll stop. Hey, that's a lot more than I knew about it, for yeah. sure. Are you ready for a quiz? Yes, always. Okay. So I was like, you know what? Let's start with Elmo and then go on to some other Sesame Muppets. Street characters. Yeah. Muppets. Got it. I don't think you... There's a few of these that you could get by knowing Sesame Street. I think there's only one where, like... Where it's really a Sesame Street question. Okay. Um, Yeah. All right. But let's start with Elmo. Question one. The Tickle Me Elmo toy was a fad of the 1996 holiday season. There's a different fad toy from the 1975 holiday season. And on Sesame Street, the Muppet Zoe has (laughs) one of these items, although presumably not a name brand one. Which Elmo has had something of a feud with in the last year or two. <laughs> I think you already know where I'm heading. What 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 is this item? It's a pet rock. It is a pet rock. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Zoe's pet rock is named Rocco. Um, <laughs> and Elmo is every parent talking to their three year old. If if anyone listening has not seen Elmo like losing his mind about Rocco. <laughs> Go find it. It is some of the best content on the internet. I swear. It's so good. Like it's Rocco so good. wants Rocco wants this cookie. <laughs> Rocco is a rock. <laughs> Rocco's a rock. Yeah. It's so good. Almost given an interview about this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so yes, Pet Rock is correct. You're at 10 points. Question two. What senator has picked fights with two separate Sesame Street characters, most recently Elmo, before that Big Bird, characterizing segments where they talked about getting COVID vaccines as government propaganda? 
This widely hated politician was a candidate in the 2016 Republican primary, got a lot of blowback for flying to Cancun during the catastrophic 2021 winter storm in his home state, and criticized Beto O'Rourke for having been in a punk band when he was younger. (laughs) The heavy sigh tells me that you know. I just don't, I don't like thinking about (laughs) this guy, about Rafa Ted Cruz. Yep. Yep. It is, it is Ted, it is Ted Cruz. I don't have anything else to say about Ted Cruz, but I'm I'm with the Muppets on this one. Vaccines are safe and effective and I haven't gotten my COVID booster yet, but I need to get that scheduled. And if you haven't scheduled yours, you should schedule yours too. You Kyle, but also you, whoever's listening. Yes. All right. You are at 20 points. Question three, the character Julia introduced in uh, the TV series Sesame Street in April of 2017 is the first Sesame Street Muppet to explicitly have a certain identity. She was developed in consultation with one organization, but that organization parted ways with Sesame Workshop due to their due to Sesame Co- Workshop's collaboration with another organization. The first organization uses more of a neurodiversity framework, the latter more of a disease framework to address the same mm. thing. What condition does Julia have? I believe she has autism. That is correct. Yes. So Julia was developed in collaboration with the Autistic Self-Advocacy Network. And then later, the character of Julia was used for some PSAs produced by Autism Speaks. The Mm. Autistic Self-Advocacy Network and Autism Speaks do not really get along yeah, Autistic Self-Advocacy Network is like, you know, kind of a, like, like run by autistic people, like kind of a, you know, nothing about us without us kind of disability rights framework. Autism Speaks tends to cater more to non-autistic parents of autistic children. And, you know, in in the ASAN's assessment, you know, sort of presents an unnecessarily negative kind of view of autism as like, you know, mm-hmm. a terrible thing that we need to save people from where, right. where ASAN has like more of a like, you know, this is, this is a kind of human diversity kind of perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I have characterized those two organizations perfectly. But like, yeah, that's the that's having having read some about this. That is, that's my that's my general understanding of that. But yeah, Julia is a cool groundbreaking character. Yeah. All right. Question four. Aloysius Snuffleupagus, also known as Snuffy, is a character whose appearance is a combination of an anteater, a mammoth, and a dinosaur. What dinosaur in particular is said to have been an inspiration for Snuffy's appearance? Its name means thunder lizard, and there have been changes in the scientific consensus about whether it is a valid species and distinct from Apatosaurus. But research published in 2015 found that the two species are in fact distinct, and this is a, a real valid dinosaur species. Oh, good. I was worried. I've been worried this whole time. I don't even know if this is actually right. I think it's Brontosaurus. It is Brontosaurus, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah there was I like remember a whole... when they were. I remember, I was like... Can't I just have my Brontosaurus? You yeah. already took Pluto away from me. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they took Brontosaurus away actually a lot earlier than they took yeah, Pluto away. But Brontosaurus is back now. Yeah, there was there was debate over like, you know, have these 
have these skeletons been put together correctly? Like, did pieces get swapped? Is this one a mm-hmm. juvenile of that one? Are they different enough that they're really two separate things? But at this point, the the scientific consensus now is the skeletons are correct. They are two separate things. We can have Brontosaurus and Apatosaurus. So, yay. Yes, we did it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> hey, this is going great. You're at 40 points. Nice. Yeah. Oh, and this is a fun fact. Originally, in the early seasons of Sesame Street, Snuffy was only visible to Big Bird. Yeah, he was his imaginary friend. Yeah. Or like everyone thought he was or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then one day he just like shows up. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I hadn't heard that before. Or if I had, I did not remember it. So I thought that was fun. Yeah. Yeah. All right. 40, you're at 40 points. Question five. Ernie sings a lot, and he actually had a pop crossover. Rubber Ducky charted on the Billboard Hot 100, peaking at number 16 in September 1970. (laughs) What was the number one hit at the time? The song was originally recorded by Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell in 1967, but the version that was number one at the time was Diana Ross's version of the same song. This song, the Marvin Gaye version, was on the soundtracks of Stepmom. Remember the Titans and Guardians of the Galaxy. And I can give you a hint if you want. Oh, man. I, I mean, oh, what is this? I'll take the hint because I, I might be switching songs up. So yeah, the first the word of the title is a grammatically improper contraction that I won't say lest my mother faint. My mom would be fine with it, actually, but that's the rhyme. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it ain't no mountain high enough. Yeah. Ain't no mountain high enough is correct. Yeah. Which is it really grammatically incorrect? Uh, mm, I'm I'm a descriptivist. So no, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) According to a clue I got right on Jeopardy, it has been knocking on the door of American grammar for Mm -hmm. centuries. Yeah. Um. Cool. Yeah, that's what I. That's the one that I was thinking of, and then I was like, "Wait, is how oh, is I will survive in there? Is that mm, yeah? Is that the is that the song that I'm supposed to be thinking of?" And then I was like trying to picture it in the movies, and I was like, "Oh, oh yeah, I will survive is in a lot of movies, also." Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, ain't no mountain high enough. You got it. All right, you're at fifty points. We're heading into the last question, and we're going to call this category a totally different name. Okay. I mean, I'm on a roll, so I'll go for it. I'll bet it all. All right. I hope that is... If I did a good job writing the question, then then that's a good choice. Um, All right. Here we go for 100 points. Believe it or not, this monster's name is spelled with an E, which is a totally different name than the more typical spelling with an A. What is the punny first name of the maybe lesser known, fuzzy and blue character whose last name is Monster. The lesser Uh, known. Yeah. Fuzzy blue. Punny. Spelled with an E and it's punny. His last name is Monster, but it, wait, <clears throat> but if it's typically spelled with an A, I was thinking, well, 
what if it's cookie monster but that's what's t- what's spelled with an a cookie isn't spelled with an a cookie's not really uh, lesser known i would i would argue that's also yeah also lesser known um hmm okay grover is blue I I'm assuming it's a Muppet. I might be off it, on that. It is a Muppet, um, yeah. Okay. Who else is blue? Who else is blue? Cookie Monster is blue. Grover is blue. Oscar is green, but he was orange. Mm-hmm. Elmo is red. Bert is yellow. Bert is yellow. Yeah. Green. Yellow. Ernie is also. Ernie's kind of orangish. Yeah. But they're not really monsters. And these um, ones are really not lesser known. <laughs> I think you've got to chase the pun. <laughs> yeah, okay. Punny s- spelled with an E instead of an A. Yeah, the, the E Last versus A doesn't monster. make the pun. It's an it's an Sure. Yeah. Sure. It's 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 it sounds the same. Yeah. I don't know if this will help much. This monster did a lot of the like conversations with real children. He's the one who did the like the counting video with the little boy named John John. And then John John came back for a reunion as an adult and did the counting video again. I, can, I think I can picture it. Like it, I no, no, oh God, now I'm just getting, I'm getting the office with Edward R. Meowro or whatever his <laughs> name, that stupid puppet was. <laughs> hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna percolate for a minute. Okay. Mm. Talking monster. Did the, did the counting. The Reminder: interviews. category is a totally different name, which is a totally callback to different name to our whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A totally different name. And is it Elmo? Al Almont. Is it Al? Is it Al? Al monster? Would that be like Elmo? Elmo? Mm, is that El monster? Al monster? Al monster? You going with Al? I'll go with Al. Yeah. It's it's Harry. It's Harry. Oh, it's, it is Harry. <laughs> ah. It's Harry H E R R Y, which is a totally different name. Then yeah. <laughs> Yeah, when I realized that it was Harry, 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 Her- <laughs> Harry, 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 uh, totally different name than Barry. To- yes. yes. Um, yeah, I was like, oh, it's too good. It's too good. I have to do it. Um, oh, that's but I'm very sorry. good. No, I'm I'm proud of you for that. That's very good. Yeah, and I'm. It is OK. I, yeah. It's worth it. All right. Well, I'm very sorry that you dropped to zero. <laughs> ah, I can't believe I didn't get the points that don't matter. Yeah. But yeah. Why is it Harry? I don't know. I, Harry, um, <laughs> Harry. Yes. <laughs> you have to kind of like morph your mouth around the R's when there's yeah, an E there. Yeah, you gotta get Harry, real, real transatlantic. Harry. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so Harry Monster is is the one who did who did the the counting videos. He he was he was in the song Fuzzy and Blue. If you know the song Fuzzy and Blue, sung by Grover, Cookie Monster, and Harry Monster. 
oh, I just found a picture of them singing it in 1981 in their little like straw hats and their little like vaudeville canes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so cute. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Well, sorry about Harry Monster, but hey, good job. Aren't we all? Up until, until, yeah. I'm I'm also sorry about Barry Gordy. Um, Barry. Barry. And Jeopardy went wrong. They they went wrong with that one. I'm I'm still mad about it. It's been, it's been years. I'm still, I'm always going to be mad. Yeah. Yeah. But hey, this was fun. Thanks for, thanks for talking about Elmo and St. Elmo and St. Elmo's fire. And, and the <laughs> other St. Elmo who's not a yeah. saint or an Elmo and the St. <laughs> yep. Elmo who got it. And the man whose first name is St. Elmo for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. Like what was that a common name? Like who, how, how are you like, you know, you, yeah, people name their kids what they want to name their kids. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, Anyway, fun as always. Thank you. Thank you, listeners. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a rating or a review if you have some time to do that. If you want to check out our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash potentpotables. And if you have friends who like Jeopardy, tell them about our podcast. You can all find us on Facebook at Potent Potables, on Twitter at Potent Potables 1. Our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com. And our website is potentpod.com. Yeah, and we'll be back next week with another week of Jeopardy. And until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker. Bye.